Well, we are in week two, as Pastor Landon mentioned, in Letters from Lockdown. We're looking at a book of Philippians, and we're going to make a few stops along the way. And by the way, man, I think Philippians has some of the greatest uh, scriptures in the New Testament. I mean, so, so incredible. Something to note as we get ready to read uh, through scripture is that when the Bible was originally written, it wasn't broken down by chapters and verses like we read it. So as we're going to be stepping into week number two, really uh, the context of this scripture really all the way trails back into chapter number one. Uh, So we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter one from 20 verse 27 on into chapter two. I want to just let you know in advance uh, today is going to be what I'm going to call a gospel gut check. And so um, this probably won't be one of the messages that you walk away from and go, oh, that was good. I'm so glad that uh, we learned that today. Um, let's pray. God, we thank you for who you are. Uh, let us not walk away from today thinking that was good. No, God, we, we want to walk away from today saying transform us because the message that uh, we are receiving from your word today is a very difficult one and uh, it's not one that we all jump and cheer and are glad to go and do in Jesus name amen do you feel encouraged already I mean are you pumped up are you like yes what what, what is God going to say to us today hey I'm going to paraphrase uh, verse 1 through verse Philippians chapter 1 27 and through uh, through to uh, chapter two. I'm gonna just paraphrase this real quick for us. Paul is essentially telling this to us as he kind of teases us up. He's saying this. He says, hey, I want you to know that no matter what, someone say no matter what. No matter what, no matter if you're suffering, if you're facing persecution, uh, no matter if you're experiencing joy, my beloved Philippian friends, my Philippian church that I love and that I planted, Remember that our invite to the gospel is not to just believe in him and partake in all of the glorious things about being a believer, but it's also to suffer with him. Someone say suffer. Then Paul says this. He says, hey, I want you to know that I want you to live as citizens of heaven while you're walking on this earth. Don't get distracted about what your eyes see, whether it's good things or whether it's bad things. I want you to do this, Paul says. I want you to conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. Do you know this word worthy right here actually means this. It means to have the same weight or the same value of something. So Paul is saying when you're walking around on this earth, I want to make sure that you have the same weight and you walk with the same value as the gospel because it comes with transforming power. And wherever you go, I want transforming power to go. So being around you should be like being around Jesus. It should be like being around heaven. I have brought the kingdom of heaven from heaven to earth in you. Show the world what heaven is all about and the way that you do the family of God. Then Paul encourages them. He says, hey, don't be a solo citizen. Don't try to be a solo Christian. You can't do it alone. You need the family. So he says, make sure to contend together. It's an athletic term, not fighting against one another, but fighting with one another. Um, So he says, contend together, work together. So Paul is about to give us the 
the key, the way to do this, the way to walk this life that he just described and, and this race as we're running together, this, this race that we can call the race of unity. Uh, in the title of our message, here's the key. Here's our title today. The title of our message today is Pour Yourself Out. Pour Yourself Out. To pour yourself out means to empty you of you. It means to empty you of yourself. Um, Bible commentators have called this passage that we're reading today the emptying passage. I told you this wasn't going to be a lot of fun today. The emptying passage. To be empty of something means to drain, to clear out, to be void, to be hollow, to be unoccupied by a thing. And in our context, we're to be unoccupied and void of self. And when you're drained out of self, the only thing that is left for the life of the believer is Christ. This is the draining out of our politics, the draining out of our religion, the draining out of our denominational identities, the draining out of our comfort zones. And when we're done draining and pouring out of ourself, the only thing we have left to pour out is Jesus. Just him. I once heard somebody say that Jesus plus nothing is everything. So here's the challenge in your notes. The flesh's natural inclination is to preserve, not pour. The spirit's natural inclination is to pour, not preserve. So do you see the challenge that we face? Do you see why Paul might be addressing this issue today for the church This is why Paul must address this because our natural inclination as humans is to say, I must preserve, I must hold, I must keep because I think these things that I hold and I preserve and I keep give me value. I think that they hold me up. I think that they give me life. Go ahead and open your Bibles to Philippians chapter two. Paul says this. He says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if you have any comfort from his love, any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. Now, I just want to explain real quick. And remember, context is everything. Context is king. We know that Paul is speaking to believers. We, we talked about that last week. This is the Philippian church that he loves dearly. These are his friends. And he says, friends, I love you so much, and I know that you're believers in Jesus. So here's what this is not. This is not Paul questioning their faith. I want you to know that. This is not Paul calling their Christianity into question. Some commentators would actually say that there could be another word used here rather than the word if, but maybe the word since. If we could see that on the screen and think of it like this. It could be read like this. Paul could be saying, since you have encouragement from being united with Christ, my dear friends, because I know you love Jesus. He's saying, since you have comfort from the love of Christ, since you have a common sharing in the spirit, and since you have received tenderness and compassion from the Holy Spirit. Do you see how that's different when you think of it like that? He says, since this is your reality, before we go into the next verse, Let's just take a look at what Paul is saying. Because remember, Paul is talking about pouring yourself out. This is the pour yourself out scripture of the Bible. I want us to notice the prerequisite for being emptied. And it's given to us in verse number one. Paul is saying, 
the prerequisite for pouring yourself out is that you have these things inside of you. You are experiencing these things inside of you. I want us to understand something. These are not the prerequisites for salvation. The prerequisite is salvation. Paul is outlining the four inner, uh, what I'm gonna call the inner radical realities of salvation. This is the point of his talk. He's saying, because you're saved, I know you're saved. When you pour yourself out the way that the gospel demands, it demands that inside of you, you have an inner reality that you are living from, that you are experiencing, and that you believe. Here is the inner reality that Paul is talking about, and here are four of them. I'm gonna give them all at once. Pastor Landon looked at the notes this week, and if you know anything about me, when there's a lot of fill in the blanks, there's usually a lot of questions at the end of the service. They're like, uh, hey, we should do a Q&A after like, hey, anybody missed point number one? Anybody need to fill in the blank for uh, point two A? Um, that's kind of what it is like. So see Landon if you have any questions at the end of the service. Um, here's the four inner realities. Paul is saying to you, believer, he's saying this. He said, this is the prerequisite if you're ever gonna pour yourself out in this radical way the gospel demands of us. Paul is saying, I want you to know that you've gotta have union in Christ. And because you have union in Christ, it equals a constant encouragement from the inside of you. Here's what it sounds like in your inner being. I know that I'm one with him and it is evident by the constant encouragement in my soul my mind, my will, and emotions. Do you have Jesus like that? Paul is saying, church, I know that you have love in Christ. You're full of it. He says, you have love in Christ, and because of your love in Christ, you have a constant comfort, constantly. You're just constantly full of comfort, no matter what. Here's how you know that you believe this. Because your inner being agrees with Jesus and says, I know that I'm loved by him at all times. And it is evident because of my constant inner comfort I have with him. I'm not confused about his love for me. Paul says this, you have fellowship in Christ. And because of your fellowship in Christ, you have constant communication with him. Constantly. And here's how you know that you believe this in your inner being because your inner being agrees with Jesus and says, I know that I constantly have the presence of Christ with me. It's evident in my inner being because of how I constantly communicate with him. We talk together often. We fellowship together often. We are always with one another. Paul is saying this. He says that because you have tenderness and compassion in Christ, because of that radical inner reality, the Father's always tender towards you and always compassionate towards you. You have constant compassion. Here's how you know that you believe this because in your inner being, it agrees with Jesus and says, I know that the Father's thoughts towards me are always tender and compassionate and in my best interest. And it's evident because I experience this in my inner being. Do you, see, do you see Paul's amazing, radical encouragement to the Philippian church here? He is saying, church, this is who you are. This is what you have inside of you. Are you experiencing it? Are you experiencing constant encouragement, constant comfort, 
constant presence and communication, constant compassion from the Father. This is your reality in Christ. This is what happens to you when you are saved. The grace place, do you know this is your inner reality in Jesus? Because until you grasp onto this radical inner reality, it will be very difficult for you to pour yourself out, for me to pour myself out in the way the gospel demands. I believe that the enemy, I have a sneaky suspicion that he loves to work in believers getting us to not believe in this radical reality. I believe that he is constantly trying to rob you by feeding you religion, by feeding you lies, by feeding you politics, by feeding you self-thoughts. And here's what I want to say to you. Don't believe a watered-down version of the gospel. Believe nothing less than the reality of this because this is who you are. And here's the other thing that Paul is saying because sometimes we read it as if he's questioning their faith. No, Paul is saying, hey, I want you to know something. You have already met the requirements for being emptied. He met them for you. This is the truth of your salvation. You have already been emptied out. That's your spiritual reality. So if you lack constant encouragement, constant comfort, constant communication, constant tenderness and compassion, Paul would say, Grace Place, it's up to you to believe the truth of the new you. Did you know that your belief will follow your experience in Christ? That's what it's all about. Your whole salvation experience follows your belief in him for salvation. Isn't that what the gospel says? I used to get frustrated with people and now people get frustrated with me (laughs) because um, I would hear people say things like this. They would say, my truth is, or your truth is, and I used to think people were saying that as if truth was relative. And I suddenly realized, and I couldn't help but notice that, that as my man, mind was transformed to the reality of Christ and who I am in him, and when I begin to agree with it, my experience with Christ dramatically changes. It wasn't because truth changed, but it was because what I believed about the truth changed. And the more I began to believe it, the more I began to experience it. So that's why you may hear me say, well, that's your truth, but not mine. It's not because I think truth is relative. It's just because I know that what I believe about the truth is maybe different from you. This is why a believer can walk through life, and this was me, feeling absolutely insecure, unloved, undervalued, hopeless, seeing themselves as a victim. Now, I am not minimizing the effects of the world on a person, but isn't that the point? Isn't that why Jesus came, to give you freedom from the effects of, the, of this world on you? Wasn't he supposed to come and free you from that and not only free you from it, but give you comfort and peace so that you can walk through it? You have been given in Christ a brand new identity and a brand new worth apart from the world separate from the world, completely separate. Believer, this is something for us worth believing. Let's move into verse number two. We notice, we notice this, the plan for being emptied out, the plan. Somebody say plan. Somebody say this hurts so good. 
Somebody give a little emoji online of a little man, little yellow man going like this. Or just take a picture of me and post it in there. Notice Paul, he transitions from saying, since this is your inner reality. Now he's saying this, since this is the reality about you, then, since this is true, then make my joy complete, Paul says. And here's how you do it, by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of mind. Did you notice what Paul did? Paul said, you are experiencing all of this from Christ. Now, I want you to turn around and do this because this is the New Testament believer's way of worshiping. I want you to, everything that you've done and experienced with me, now I want you to go and do it with somebody else, with one another. So here's what he's saying. He makes it really simple for us. Everything that happened to you, I want you to pour it out with one another by having the same union with one another in your notes. What, Paul? Yeah, Paul said, the same union you have with the Father. Now I want you to go and share that union with others. But me and the Father, we're, we're radically one. He's in me and I'm, I'm in him. His pain is my pain. My pain is his pain. Yeah, that kind of union. I want you to contend together to where your brother's pain actually is your pain. Your brother's joys become your joys. Then he says, I want you to have the same love with one another. Oh yeah, the same love that you share with the Trinity, the unconditional, unwavering love. I want you to have that same love with one another. He says that same fellowship, that constant communion we have with one another, I want you to know that, that I want you to have constant communion, constant fellowship with one another. The same mind that we share in Christ, yeah, I want you to have that same mind with one another, so in unity, so in sync. And here's what, it, here's what this sounds like in the inner being of a believer. It sounds like this. What he thinks about me, I think about you. I think you're worth forgiving. I think you're worth redeeming. I think you're worth loving. The same way I experience God use me when I speak, I expect to experience him when you speak. You are worth giving saving grace over and over and over and over again. And you're worth giving empowering grace over and over and over again so much that I'm willing to share my influence and my possessions with you. I consider your mind and thoughts as important to me as Christ's thoughts towards me. Loving you is as important as Christ's love for me. I'm desperate for it. Told you today was a gospel gut check from Paul. Paul doesn't stop here. In fact, he actually presses in a little more. Sometimes, again, we read some of these scriptures as like a, a, a Christian body slam, but this is not a Christian body slam. I want you to capture the heart and the intent. Paul says this, do nothing out of selfish, selfish ambition or vain conceit. You know, this, vain, this word vain conceit has an interesting meaning. It means to be empty of glory. It means to be without Christ. We know that the only glory we have is in Christ, Right? So to be empty of glory means to be without Christ. And Paul is saying, don't do anything. Out. Remember, the only thing we have is selfish ambition when we're filled with self. Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Paul says, 
I want you to know that don't do, don't do anything with empty glory. Why, Paul? Because that's not who you are. That's what Paul's saying. He says, I see you acting selfish, living as if you don't have Christ in you, living as if you're empty of his glory, but you're not. He says, I know you're full of his glory. I know that you're full of it. And that's the truth about you. So Paul turns around to this church that I'm, I, I'm under suspicion of, of the fact that they may have some selfish behaviors going on. And Paul turns around to them and he lifts them up in Christ and says, that's not who you are. But he says, rather in humility, value others better than yourself. Verse four, not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others. And in relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. Do you see this like repeated theme over and over and over? And here's the charge from Paul to this church, the Philippian church. And I believe it's the same charge to us today. Consider, your, consider others as not as yourself, let me say that again, consider others not as yourself, but above yourself. I read that, I went, Paul, are you crazy? Don't you know the golden rule? Treat your neighbor as yourself. And Paul says, no, I want you to treat them above yourself. You mean you want me to give my steak to my neighbor and eat a corn dog? (laughs) This is not fair. At least let it be Fletcher's. This is where I get a little frustrated at Paul as I read this because I'm like, Paul, this is not fair. I was, I was feeling pretty good about myself. I was feeling pretty good about my tithes and my offerings. I was feeling pretty good about my mission support. I was feeling pretty good about my church attendance. I was feeling pretty good about how I'm doing my life as a believer in Jesus. And Paul said, I know you were. I knew you were standing on the pride of your own good deeds and and I knew that you were taking some credit from that rather than giving the credit to Jesus. I wanna make sure that you pour yourself out, Sean, and that everything that you find value in comes only from Christ, not from your works. I'll be like, excuse me, uh, Philippian church. Paul's in jail right now. This is a great opportunity. I, I, I want to I raise a motion right now. Um, I'll raise a motion to remove Paul from our overseeing deacon board, guys. Um, we need to get him out of here. He is too radical for us. Do I have a second? Thank you, Landon. Here's the question Paul is, is charging us, asking us. He says, do you identify so much with Christ that you value others more than you value yourself? Nearly every one of us would probably have a really hard time saying yes to this. And this question, I believe the motivation of Paul's heart and my motivation as well is to not make anybody feel bad. But as an encouragement to say, let's live more like Christ. As an encouragement to say, let's pour ourselves out. Let's not let man's praise be the foundation of of our identity and our security. Let Jesus be that foundation. Let's not let our gifts, our tithes, our offering, our good deeds, the fact that we don't cuss, and well, some of us don't, but um, um, the fact that we, we don't do some of these things be the foundation for our goodness. Let him be the foundation of our goodness. And I say this so that I can lift you up and say, you are full of his glory. You might not feel it, but that is your inner reality. Grace Place, you are full of his glory. 
want to just give you a quick warning. Oh, I, I, I don't have time to, time to do this. Okay, I was going to give you a rabbit trail warning, but I'm running out of time. Let's move into verse 6 through 8. The next thing we notice here is the picture of being poured out, and we see in Philippians 2, verse 5 through 8. Here's what pouring yourself out looks like. This is the picture of Jesus. We read it like this. It says, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. It says, don't consider equality something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. This is the ultimate picture of pouring yourself out. Jesus lived a series of humiliations, one after another, after another, after another. I think that sometimes the life of Christ is a series of self-humiliations until the only thing left to pour out is him. In our notes, this is the way Jesus saw himself. This is the only valid way for us to see ourselves. Paul said this in Philippians 2, 17. He said, but even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with all of you. This brings us to our closing point today. We're gonna move down to verse number 12 want us to notice the plea to being emptied, the plea to being emptied. Philippians 2.12 says, Therefore, beloved, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Sometimes I, I feel like we've always read this, like meaning like, hey, you obeyed me when I was there, but make sure to obey me when I'm gone, because I know when I'm not looking, y'all are a mess. I don't really think that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, as you have always obeyed in my absence, not as in my presence only. In other words, he's saying, I know you obey both. But now I see that you're obeying much more in my absence because he's seen their growth in Christ. He says this next, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 13, for it is God who works in you to will and act and according to fulfill his good purpose. Here's the final encouragement in this whole pour yourself out dialogue from Paul. Here's the final encouragement. Paul says this, work out what he's been worked in you, what has been worked in you. Work out what has been worked in you. Here's what Paul is not saying. Paul is not saying, work for your salvation. Work harder for it. Go to church more. Read your Bible more. Pray more. Work hard. Dig your nose in because you might not make it to the other side. Paul's not saying, work for your ticket into heaven. No, Paul is saying, church, remember, this is his beloved Philippian church. These are believers he's talking to. He's saying, I know who you are in Christ. You're full of glory. I've seen God pour himself into you. You have an amazing inner reality. I want you to go and share that inner reality with others. And I want you to just pour yourself out, work out of you what is in you. 
Can you imagine if that was happening all over the world right now? Can you imagine the reconciliation between the Father and his world that he loves so deeply if we worked out of us what was in us? Paul said this, emptying yourself is painful. In fact, it's terrifying. In fact, it's very fearful. It's fearful to take your foot off of everything that this world offers you because you don't know what it's going to be like on the other side. You might tremble a little bit as you try to put your foot on Jesus and realize, oh, He's a pretty sure foundation. He's pretty solid. I I didn't know that until I poured myself out and began to trust him. And to the Jews who left religion, can you imagine how fearful and terrifying? Can you imagine how much they were trembling as they let go of all their works for righteousness and they turned into the New Testament church and just had faith righteousness? Can you imagine how scary that was for them? This was flat out, They were flat out fearful. You're going to experience fear when you pour yourself out because your flesh is going to be wondering, will I have anything left when I'm done giving? Am I going to lose all of me? Jesus did. When you pour out, you may tremble a little bit. He did. If we don't experience the fear and trembling of salvation, perhaps Jesus is asking you to lose more of yourself. Can we bow our heads and close our eyes? Paul is coming to the church and he's calling us and, and this, is, this is kind of one of those somber moments as we look into our life and and honestly I think we see the radical difference between Jesus and us but Jesus looks at you and says you see the radical difference between me and you but I see you as I see me and I've given you all of my glory work out of you what I've worked in you Here's what Jesus said to the people of his day. Are you tired of being worn out, burned out on religion? Jesus says, come to me. Come away with me and I'll recover your life. I will show you how to take rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. And as we watch him, he poured himself out. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. The reason why I'm reading this scripture is because sometimes as believers we read the word and when something's really hard we feel bad about ourselves, and the enemy starts lying to us and telling you you're a terrible Christian Um, you don't do enough for me you don't sacrifice enough for me and no that's not that's did did you let's remember what the the four inner realities of salvation are constant comfort constant constant tenderness and compassion from the Lord I want you to receive this word with tenderness and compassion Jesus says to you in the midst of the tasks that you have ahead of you of pouring yourself out like I did learn the unforced rhythms of grace I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly 
Friends, have you tried the gospel? Have you tried the good news of Jesus? It is way different than religion. It is a light load. It is a, it is a load that Jesus comes and carries for you. And it is a call to experience joy with him and to experience suffering with him. I want you to know today that, that God radically loves you. And he wants to partner with you. He wants to redeem you today. And he sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for the payment of our sins because he doesn't want us to live in eternity without him. I want you to think about the father. I want you to think about what he brings to this world. When you mistaken love, joy, peace, healing, hope, when you have mistaken the things of this world as the one who offers those things, I want you to realize that without the love of the Father, there is no love, there is no healing, there is no peace, there is no joy, there is no hope. What kind of life in eternity is that without those things? None of us want that. I don't think any person in this room would say, yes, sign me up for a life without that. No. He comes and says, I have come to radically redeem you and bring you into my family.